Well, we're on a, a really, I think, a very exciting topic. We've ended the series on, on miracles. That was an awesome topic. And signs and wonders and the things that God's still doing around the world. And we're going to move into a topic that is, is really foundational to our faith. I mean, super crazy foundational to our faith. We really need to get this. And I think we're always growing in our understanding of this. But we need to keep growing. And we need to get this solidified in our hearts and our lives. Because if we don't have this foundational truth really solid in us we live our christian life kind of off balance out of kilter we just don't really get the full traction that we need to have as believers and i think you're like me you you want to get all the traction you can out of the scripture and out of your christian walk and you want to realize everything you can as a child of god and this is so important that we get this and we're, we're going to look at at paul first but paul was a, a guy who and by the way, if, you, if, you, if this is your first time in church and you've never heard anything about the Bible, Paul was somebody who, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, and he was a Christian hater. He went to stamp it out. He met the resurrected Jesus. I always think that, that that'll change your life, meeting the resurrected Jesus. So he meets the resurrected Jesus, and he becomes from a Christian hater to one of the most effective evangelists, church planters, and teachers of the faith that has ever existed. And if you followed him around, you find out that his resume before becoming a Christian was absolutely astounding. Uh, his, his education, his, his rise up the, the ladder. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He, he says this. This always blows me away. He says, concerning the law, faultless. I'm going, really, Paul? Okay, concerning the law, faultless. So he has this incredible resume and pedigree. And then he says this. He takes all that stuff. And he says, all of that I consider refuge. I consider garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And, and he, says, he says, I consider it all garbage that I, that I may be found in Christ. And then in Philippians 3, verse 9, the sentence goes on. It says, that I may be found in Christ, may I be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own. Did you catch that? I know we all know this intellectually. But I want us to really get this deeply seated in our heart and in our minds. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the what? From the law. Have you ever met anybody? I meet them all the time. They want to bring you back under the law. They want to bring. Paul understood the law as thoroughly as anybody could understand the law. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And so here he says, I, I consider all refuse garbage that I might be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through what? Faith in Christ. That which is in faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is so critical to our walk with God. We, we are going to keep learning this. We're going, to, we're going to look at the law of God. We're going to find a couple things about the law of God. Now, don't run out and scream heretic as I say these things because you've got to hang with me here. In, in the Old Testament, there's a word called Ichabod, and it means the spirit of the Lord has departed, so you don't need to yell Ichabod as, as I talk about this. But we're going we're gonna to show that the law of God, the law of God is precious and beautiful and wonderful and lovely and perfect, and at the same time, it is dangerous and, and actually works against us in walking in a righteousness that's by faith in Jesus. And we're going to see that from Scripture. So as you think about these things and you say, 
well, that's not what my granddad taught me or that's not what I always kind of thought. I've learned this. When I say to myself, well, I, that's kind of not what I always thought, what I kind of always thought doesn't really matter if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. And so I have to allow the Word of God to change me and transform me. One of the things I was so happy about in my upbringing is, is I wasn't really uh, dogmatically taught a lot of things that this is, bless God, this is it, and there's no other way around it because those things really take root in you. And you read the Scripture and you find 20 verses that say that's not real, but you can't kind of let go of it because this is what granddad and, and dad and all the family and the church people you love taught you, and, and they're all wonderful people, and I agree with that. But if, if I, actually, Paul said this, if I or an angel come preaching to you any other gospel than what I've already preached, let him be accursed. And so that's how, how dogmatic, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, don't call granddad a liar, okay? That's not profitable. But as we see, hmm, and even yourself, there'll be things that you believed or thought, and you'll have to say, I'm wrong, and I'm going to line up my life with the Word of God. So that's our goal. We want to line up our lives with the Word of God. So we're going to look at this guy. We're going to start off with a, a verse by John. John was the beloved disciple. We know he was because he wrote it. He said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> praise God. I think they probably all could have said that, don't you? <laughs> I think Jesus loved them all. Uh, I believe he even loved Jesus, uh, Judas deeply. He loved them all. And so he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. He was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. You know, everywhere Jesus went and did something special, they were brought along. He was the only disciple that never, uh, that died a natural death. All the others were martyred, killed for their faith, except John. He's the one that wrote the book of Revelation. By the way, history and legend, I've, it, it could be true. It's not, not the Bible. But they say they tried to kill him multiple times, and they couldn't do it. They, they supposedly, legend has it that they tried to boil him in oil on multiple occasions, but he just, I guess he just took a bath in it or something because it couldn't kill him. Now, I don't know. This, the Bible doesn't teach that, but, but some history legends teach that, and it very well could be true because if God wants you to live, and uh, it's, it's going to happen no matter what people want to do. So we're going to remind ourselves of some things. Now, John writes this in 1 John He's teaching us this, this principle. He said, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but have you ever felt condemned in your heart? Yeah. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. It's very important that we have confidence before God, so it's very important that our hearts don't condemn us. But if we would have read the whole chapter, John's saying, sometimes we're saying to ourselves, I don't even know if I'm a Christian or not. I don't even know my... Your heart's condemning you. You don't even know if you're right with God. You don't know if you're a Christian. And so John says, do you love Jesus? And you go, yeah, I love Jesus. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, I love them. Then let your heart be confident. That's the sign of a believer. It goes on and says, if you, if you see your brother and sister, this is very specific about brother and sister. We know we're supposed to love everybody, but there's, there's times where God says, hone in on your brother and sister. The Bible says we should do good to all people, but especially to those of the household of faith. So it says, if we see a brother or sister, and when it says that, it's talking about a fellow Christian in need, and we have the ability to help them, but we don't. We close up our heart to them. He says, how can the love of God be in you? Now, it can be, but we need to learn and grow and have a, a compassionate heart towards people. So if we love Jesus and love our brothers and sisters of Christ, we should be confident for God, I'm a real Christian. So let's read on. Here it says, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? 
receive anything that we ask. Then we go on and say, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. We go, oh, there's my, there's my wrench. We keep his commands. We do what pleases him. And so we start thinking of all the commands we've broken, all the, all the mistakes we've made, all the sin we've committed. And, but John's going to explain what are the commands of God. See, I can tell you this. We, we may not follow Jewish law, but every single one of us have our own little laws we create in our own mind. We said at the first year, we're going to read through the Bible this year. That, I'm telling you, that could be one of the most condemning pro projects you ever get on. Because day number one, you're strong. Day number two, you're strong. Day number three, you forget to read. Day number four, you read half of it. By the time you're day number 10, you're 37 chapters behind. You know, and you just, you fail. And you go, oh, I give up, you know. And so you say, how can I be confident before God? I was going to read through the Bible this year. And I've already given, I gave up before January was over. Well, why? Because you created a little law, a little rule, and if you don't obey that little rule, then you're not confident before God. But John's going to tell us, here's the rules, here's, here's the commands. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't mention the Ten Commandments. He doesn't mention the other 613 Jewish laws. He doesn't mention your little laws that you made up in your mind. He said, here's your command. Love Jesus and love your brothers and sisters. Now, it's very similar because somebody tried to trap Jesus one time. He said, what's the greatest command? Now, it's a trick question because no matter what he said, they were going to get him because there would be some way to say, that's not the greatest one. He said, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord with everything you've got. And there's a second one like it. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Well, wow, that sounds very similar to what John just said. Well, maybe that's because John was discipled by Jesus. Here it is. At another point, remember when Jesus feeds the 5,000, not counting women and children, he gets a few loaves of fish, and a few, or a few loaves of bread and some fish, and he multiplies and blesses that he feeds thousands of people. They, the Bible says they, they ate their fill, they were full, they were stuffed. They said, that's some good fish and chips, and Jesus goes away, and they hunt after him. They hunt Jesus down. The next day, they find Jesus and said, wow, we're glad we found you. And he said, you know, you came looking for me, not because of the signs you saw. You came because you got your belly filled with the loaves and the fish. And he said, don't work for food that perishes, but work for food that leads to eternal life, whom the Son of Man can give you, whom the Father has put his approval on. And the, these followers, I think, were very sincere and said, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Are you ready for the commands of God? This is what Jesus said. If you're, if you're real studious, you'll find this in John chapter 6, verses 27 through 29. John 6, 27 through 29. And Jesus said, here is the work that God requires. Believe in the one he has sent. But most of those people are probably good Jewish people. You're not even going to rehearse the Ten Commandments to us? You're not going to rehearse some of the 613 other laws? You're saying that's it? If you remember when Jesus in the first illustration, he says all the law and all the prophets hang on those two things, love God and love your neighbor. All the law and all the prophet hang on those things. So we want to learn how can we have a confident, righteous life. Now, Paul would teach this righteousness that comes by grace through faith in Jesus, and he would teach it hard. And he would teach it so hard 
that people would start thinking, oh, he don't care how we live then. You read through the, the writings of Paul, and he's always having to address the fact, I do care how you live. Shall we continue in sin that, that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? But he taught about this righteousness, and we're going we're to pick up on that here. And we need to find out what God's commands are, which we pretty much found them. Love God, love others. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in Jesus. There's his commands. And here, Paul, we're back to Paul, talking to a group of, of Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians in 2 Corinthians. And he said, he, the he in this verse is God, he has made us. The us is Paul and his companions. So you, you know what, how the story's going. God has made Paul and his companions competent or capable as ministers of a what? New covenant. Ministers of a new covenant. You can get that word from Jesus. Jesus on the Last Supper, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. He took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is a cup of a new covenant in my blood. A new covenant in my blood. So let's, let's look on. It says, not of the letter. Now, let's just pretend for a second we've never heard a Bible verse before, and we're just trying to figure out, what, what's he talking about? He's a minister of a new covenant, not of the letter, not a covenant of the letter, but of the Spirit, capital S, of the Holy Spirit, a new covenant of the Holy Spirit. For the letter does what? Kills. The letter kills, and the Spirit does what? Gives life. So the letter kills, and the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters, there's that word, okay, okay, we're starting to make a connection here, it's not of the letter. If the ministry that brought what? Death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, and it did, so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, Moses was shining with the glory of God, transitory, fleeting, or temporary as it was. Now, I want to pause here because we're trying to figure out what is this letter he's talking about. We've got a ministry of the Spirit uh, that gives life, not of the letter. Well, let's, let's just think. Now, let's pretend again we've been through Sunday school and we've been raised in the church and we know the Bible stories. Okay, there's a guy coming down off a mountain. His name's Moses and his face is glowing. And he has something that there's been letters engraved on stone. Can anybody guess what that is? The Ten Commandments. He's carrying down the Ten Commandments. This is the ministry. Paul said, I don't have a ministry of the Ten Commandments. Because the ministry of the Ten Commandments kills. <gasps> Again, don't shout Ichabod yet. Hang with me here because we, we love the Ten Commandments. But it says... What? So we read on here and say, now hold, hold on. It says that it was a ministry of death. Will not the ministry of the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, be even more glorious? Now, again, just be thinking people here. Which do you think would be more glorious? God himself, the Spirit? Or a rock with some engraved letters on it? God himself. So which is more glorious? God himself is more glorious than the commands that were engraved on stone. So, now the commands that were engraved on stone were important, but they're not as glorious as God. And so here it says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 
So you can say, so Tracy, are you saying that the Ten Commandments kills? That the Ten Commandments is a ministry of death? That the Ten Commandments brings condemnation? I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. Now, remember the Bible? I know we don't carry them like this anymore. And by the way, for those, bless God, we don't carry this. There was a time we didn't even have this. And so if, if you have your Bible on a smart device, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Although, you know, in the early days as a switch, people were going, I'm seeing people out there with their smart devices. So if you have a smart device with you, the cool thing is I'm just assuming you're not playing Candy Crush. You are, you are following along in the Word of God. So, so it, it's the, this is the Bible of, of whom we have said about this Bible that it's God-breathed. And it is. I think it's 1 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is given by inspiration of God or is God-breathed, exhaled by God. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we believe this is, this is God's divine revelation. And God's divine revelation said the Ten Commandments kill their ministry of death and their ministry of condemnation. Now, again, hang with me here. How, how was that so? Because before the Ten Commandments came, from the time of Adam and Eve to the time Moses came down off the mountain, there were no laws. Now, I'm sure in little local communities they had laws, but there was no law from God. Does anybody remember the, the Jewish law, the Ten Commandments and the laws? And by the way, the 613 weren't all just made up by people. You can read Deuteronomy. God gave many of those commands to the people about how to deal with social issues and deal with their, their harvest and deal with disputes among people. And those laws were given. But before Moses came down off the mountain, before God gave those rules, there was no law. Now, do you know what the law was if you murdered somebody? Does anybody remember? You would be murdered. They would drag you outside the camp, and they would stone you to death. Now, let me ask this question. Cain murders Abel. God knows he did. Did God kill him? No. Why didn't he? Because he hadn't broken a law. What? I know it goes against our moral and ethic, ethical minds. What? Now, was it sin, what Cain did? Absolutely. Was there some natural punishment that came along with that? Absolutely. But he did not violate a law of God because there was no law. So God sends the law. See, the problem is people were sinning like crazy. They just didn't know much of the things they were doing was sin. And so God gave us the law for a purpose. The law is going to show me I'm a sinner. It's also going to show me something else. No matter how disciplined I am, I can't quit sinning. No matter how focused I am, I can't be a perfect obeyer. I was in the computer business many, many years ago, and a lot of local people and businesses would gather once a month, and we'd talk about our businesses, how we might serve one another, help one another. And there's one lady there who is an accountant, and she actually went to law school first. But she was sitting in a class, and the law professor taught this. If there was a new country that had just been created, and people moved there, and there were no laws, you could murder someone and have no penalty to it. Again, that so violated her ethical and moral compass that she said, I can't be a lawyer. I can't, I can't even think like that. But I do want to say something. The professor 
was 100% correct. You can't get in trouble for breaking a law when there's not a law that exists. Does that make sense? So God gave us this law. And for those who like to dig in some more detail, Romans 7 gets into a lot of this that Paul wrote. So the, God, the, the law of God, see, the law of God's perfect and beautiful and lovely and righteous and amazing and everything if we allow it to be used as God designed it to be used. God gave the law because people were sinning like crazy. God gave the law, and he said, I, I'm going to reveal your sinfulness. So it revealed my sinfulness, and it let me know how utterly helpless I was to quit sinning. So that was kind of the strategy. Now, there's a strangely revealing thing about human nature. God's talking to Moses. You can read this. I think it's, it's uh, Exodus 19. And he says, go tell the people that there's something new coming on the horizon. There's going to be commands and decrees and laws. And ask them if they're willing to obey them. And in Exodus 19, Moses asked the people, and here's what they say. They say, everything God commands, everything he speaks, we will do. We'll do it. We're in. We're we can do it. I think they were sincere. I think they meant that. They really believed they could do it. But 13 chapters later and 40 days later, Moses is coming down off the mountain with the tablets with letters engraved by God, the Ten Commandments, and he comes down to a wild, crazy party where they've already broke commandment number one before it even got delivered. It had already been written, but he's getting ready to deliver it. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And they've actually molded this calf, and they said, here is the God that delivered us from Egypt. Here is the God that overcame the most powerful nation on planet. Here is the God that led us. First of all, again, I know I think weird, but I'm thinking, was that the only mold you had? Was a baby cow? I mean, if I was going to make a god, it would at least be a lion or a tiger or an eagle or something, not a baby cow, but anyway, that was it. And so they got a calf, and they said, here it is. 3,000 people died that day. 3,000. You know what I know? The commandment had just arrived, and it already was proven out what Paul said. It brought death. 3,000 people died that day. Wow. Hmm. Uh, this wasn't part of my notes, but my mind just clicked on this. Remember when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost? A new covenant in the Spirit? Does anybody remember how many people came to know Jesus? 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. I don't know if there's a connection, but I think God likes to make connections. And I think, hmm, the commandment brings 3,000 deaths like that, and the Spirit brings 3,000 lives like that. Interesting. Which is more glorious, the commandments that bring death or the Spirit? The Spirit is more glorious because the commandment, the law, kills, and the Spirit gives life. It's even revealed in that. So, they weren't doing so well with these two commandments right off the bat. It was bringing death. And you and I need confidence before God. I don't want to diminish your confidence. I want to build your confidence. But I do want to tell you something. We're not going to be confident by becoming really great obeyers. Now, this is a dangerous message, and that's why it's in multiple parts. I would gladly sit here, stand here, share with you this whole message in three or four hours, and there's always one wild person like Elizabeth who'll say, go for it, and everybody goes, everybody goes, please, Elizabeth, be quiet. He might think you really want us to do that. So you can thank God that we're going to break it down, but you're not going to get it all today. 
So you're probably going to leave saying, oh, I got some questions here. Well, first of all, you can always email me questions. I'll be happy to answer them. But they may get covered in our continued message on this topic. So when I say we're not going to get confidence before God by being good obeyers, I'm not encouraging us not to want to obey God. But we're deceived. We think on a good day, we're really good. I want to crush you for just a second. You ain't that good on your best day. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that your righteousness is as a filthy rags before God. And that on our best day, we're unprofitable servants. Isn't that interesting? So on our best day, our righteousness is as a filthy rags. So I can't just say I'm going to be really good because I can't be good enough. Now somebody may say, well, Tracy, you're a pretty good person. But I would always ask this, compared to whom? Well, compared to my dad, he was an abusive man who, who beat us and abused us physically and emotionally and mentally. He had a good paying job, but he took care of himself. He had all the boats and cars and everything he wanted while we went to school without lunch money and holes in our shoes. I say, okay, I guess I'm a pretty good guy compared to him. But unfortunately, I don't stand before God and say, would you bring their dad over here by me? I want you to see how really good I am. My righteousness is going to be compared to God, to Jesus. I don't stack up so well next to Jesus, and you don't either. I was reading, just looking at all Paul's ventures and adventures in the Scripture, and I just said to myself, just this week I said, Tracy, you are a lazy coward compared to the Apostle Paul. I, I, I mean, seriously, I look at that and go, he worked tirelessly? He was courageous? How many times have I not shared Jesus because I felt a little uncomfortable? Paul would share Jesus, they would stone him to death, and he would get back up to head back into town to preach some more. I got to say, he outcourages me. I can't stack up well against human beings. So I know I'm not going to stack up well against God against Jesus and all his righteousness, because you know what I know about Jesus, according to the scriptures? He was tempted in every way, just like us, yet he never sinned. You and I don't make it through a day. You're saying, a day, Lord, I don't make it through an hour. You know, where we, and we and sometimes we might think we do, but we, we're not that good. And so I have to find some kind of righteousness that's not of my own, that's from being a really good person because I'm not that good, neither are you. So what happens is, once I realize that, I say, I'm in desperate need of some help. Paul goes through that in Romans. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this bondage of death? You remember the thing, it's kind of like a Laurel and Hardy skit. I do what I don't want to do, what I don't want to do, I do. And you read that, it's kind of like who's on first. You, you read that and you go, wow. And Paul finally says, oh, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this bondage of death? And he says, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. Jesus is my deliverer from that cycle of death where I just can't be good enough to earn it. And so Paul, who was a great obeyer, who was a master obeyer, said, oh, I'm so thrilled that I have a righteousness that doesn't come from the law, but comes from faith in Jesus Christ. A righteousness that comes from God by faith. So, 
My righteousness needs to be in Jesus. My confidence needs to be in Jesus. But I will, and you will too, will default to our behavior. Surely you've gone sometime or another into prayer and thought, why would God answer my prayer? And then you start rehearsing your poor behavior. So you start saying, I lost my cool today and went off on somebody in traffic. I helped myself to a few office supplies today from work. Oh, I watched some trashy stuff on television. Oh, oh my goodness. I had a, a whirlwind of sinful thoughts that I indulged in my mind. I'll tell you what, bless God, I'm not praying my prayer today. I'm going to pray tomorrow because things are going to change. I'll tell you what, tomorrow I'm going to keep my cool. Check. Tomorrow I'm going to take back all the things I borrowed from work. Check. I am not going to watch trash on TV tonight. I'm going to watch The Passion of the Christ. So I'm going to watch that tonight, and then I'm going to watch my thoughts tomorrow, and then tomorrow I'll pray that prayer with confidence. You know what you did? You just built a righteousness of your own. They weren't Jewish laws, but they were your own little rules that tried to figure out, how can I be confident before God? The confidence we have before God is knowing who we are in Christ and where our righteousness comes from. So I know this blow, it blows me away too, so I'm about to blow myself away and you away. On my worst day, I should be able to pray with confidence. Because it's not me. It's not me. And when I think it's me, please hear this again, when I think it's me, I am deceived. I'm fooled into thinking I'm really wonderful, and I'm not. So we got to say, hold it. If my righteousness is as filthy rags, if on my best day I'm an unprofitable servant, if, if I have all this stuff, who will deliver me? Jesus will deliver me. He's the one. So next time you go to pray and you say, oh, I've had a rotten day as a Christian, you need to say, that's true. But Jesus didn't have a rotten day. And then you say, guess what? The righteousness I have in Christ did not get diminished by my bad day. And it didn't get increased by my supposedly good day. So I'm going to put my trust in God. Now, am I advocating losing your cool? No. Am I advocating stealing from work? No. Am I advocating watching trash on TV? No. Am I advocating letting your mind run amok? No. But I am telling you, our answer is Jesus. See, as we develop down this road, we will find out that there is a way to develop a righteousness, but it's actually, we'll talk about next week, it's actually placed upon us through Christ. And we become the righteousness of God in Christ. And you can't be any more righteous than that. Good day or bad day. Because my behavior doesn't increase Jesus' righteousness or decrease Jesus' righteousness because it's found in him. Now, to me, it's found in him. So, I'm not promoting our own little self-righteous checklist because we're not as good as we think we are. And you may say, well, I, I just don't, I'm confused right now. How am I, how am I going to live right? How am I not going to sin? I don't know. You're right. Most people don't, but we're going to learn it. We're going to see what the Bible says about over the next few weeks. We're going to dive in. We're going to discover God's path, true path, legitimate path to holiness and to righteousness. And it's not the law. If it would have been the law, let's just use our brains for a second. If the law could have accomplished it, 
Why send Jesus? If the law could accomplish it, why in the world did God clothe himself in flesh, get brutally murdered by people who, who didn't care for him or even want him on the planet anyway? Why did why? He wouldn't have. God's ingenious. He wouldn't have. But the law was made to reveal our sinfulness so we could say, who's going to deliver me? And now we have a hope in Jesus Christ. So there would be no need for a new covenant, and we have a new covenant in Jesus, a righteousness that comes from God by faith. And as we see this and play out, we'll start realizing, wow, I believe I can actually behave better if I understand how Christianity works. Instead of trying to work from the outside in, we'll figure out how to work from the inside out. So here's some applications for us this week. Be washed by the word. The Bible says there's a washing of the water of the word. What it's designed to do is change the way I think to get to line up with the word of God. So I think, I got to do all these perfect things or I won't be acceptable in God's sight. I, I need the word of God to wash me. Hold it, but, the, but Hebrews tells me I've been made perfect forever. Wow, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. See, Jesus had not sinned, but God put sin on him. Did you catch that? He wasn't a sinner. He committed no sin. Sin was put on him, and he bore our sin. And we who were not righteous, God's righteousness was put on us. I can't be any more righteous than that. I, and how insulting to say, well, I know it's the righteousness of God in Christ, but it's that and, you know, me dotting every I and crossing every T today. So let the word of God wash your mind, wash you. The second thing is to pay attention. I must and you must pay attention to where I begin to trust in my own goodness. As soon as I go to pray, prayer and think, I can't pray today. It was an awful day. Hold it. What am I doing? I'm trusting in my own goodness. Now, again, I'm not encouraging you to have awful days, and I'm not encouraging you to say, well, Sounds like me, Tracy says, it doesn't matter how I live, because we'll get to that. But my confidence is in Christ and in his righteousness. And so every time I begin to trust in myself, well, God will answer this prayer because I had a really good day. Or God will do this for me because I was really nice. God will do this for me because I gave a big offering today, so I know he's going to, you know, none of that stuff, as much as I encourage us to do all those things, doesn't really blow God's mind. I mean, if you gave the biggest gift you ever gave today, first of all, I personally will say thank you very much. But I will say this, God didn't look down and go, Woo! Come on over here, angels, look at the size of that check. We don't rejoice over your check until it clears. And once it clears, <laughs> then we have, we have great rejoicing. <laughs> uh, so pay attention to where we trust in our own goodness. And then, you know, some things you can read, Romans 7 this week, you can look through through John's writings and, and Philippians there and First and Second Corinthians, all kinds of great stuff. The Christian scriptures are packed with it. This is a foundational doctrine of the Christian life that we don't really get real well and that we need, me too, we need to keep growing in our understanding of it so we can be everything God has called us to be. Now, first of all, I want to apologize to you because there's a clock back there and I just looked out and if I don't ramble for the next 20 or 30 minutes, we're going to get out early. And I know you're thinking, we wouldn't want to get out early. Okay, did see how quiet it was right there? Yeah, I like that. I, when I talk to young preachers, I say, I've never had a congregation get mad at me for getting done early. 
ever. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. So liberating, so refreshing. Lord, we want to obey your word, not our emotions, our feelings, or any bad teaching we've had. And so we say, Holy Spirit, help us to get it rooted in us and to live it and walk it out. Now, I want to, I want to ask why well, everybody's keeping a, a posture and attitude of prayer. Is there anybody here today who would say, hey, Tracy, uh, would you say a prayer for me? I've never given my life to Jesus. I've maybe gone to church. Maybe it's your first time, but I've never actually given my life to him. And I, I want to get in on this. I want to have a righteousness that comes from him, not something I'm trying to create. Is there anybody here in that situation say, I'm not a Christian, but I want to be one? Would you hold your hand up? I want to pray for you. Anybody? I'm not going to call you up front. I don't think that would be wrong or bad. I'm just not going to do that. But I want to pray for you. Anybody saying, hey, say a prayer for me, Tracy. I don't know Jesus. I want to know him. Quickly, if you feel your heart being tugged in that direction, get that hand up in the air. Uh, don't hesitate, and I'll pray with you. Anybody at all? Anybody here today saying, I'm confident that I'm a Christian, but I want to make a fresh commitment to Jesus today. You know, I, I, I really feel like I need to, you know, get real with this walk with God, not play games with it. Anybody in that situation saying, hey, I just want to make a fresh start in Jesus today. Get, get your hand up in the air. You're saying, hey, it's a new day, a new beginning, a new dawn for me. Anybody as we go to prayer, a new start for me. Amen. We bless you. Father, we so thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you that there is a love among us for one another. We, we love seeing each other's faces. We love you. We love the house of God. We love our brothers and sisters. And therefore, we have a confidence that we can ask and pray to you. And you hear our prayers because we love one another and we love you. Lord, may your spirit continually lead us this week to discover more of your riches and more of your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.